My name is Pastor Eric Rosinger. I am the youth and student ministry pastor here at Faith. Pastor Steve is on vacation this week, and he will be back next week uh, to continue on with his series through the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. So I encourage you to come back and be a part of that with us next week. Um, but I'm pretty excited, uh, grateful to have the chance to come and speak again this morning. And uh, it's about a topic in an area that um, has really taken on a little bit more of a personal nature to me and is an area that is very close to my heart. As many of you know, um, our family has gone through the journey of, uh, of adopting um, our third son into our family, Joshua. Uh, he came home uh, about four and a half years ago from Korea. And uh, it's like a roller coaster ride, um, lots of joys and challenges, um, but it's been an amazing ride for us and an experience. You know, outside of this experience of, of adopting him, um, moving from a family of four to a family of five has also uh, been a little bit of an adjustment. Um, those of you that have more than four in your family understand this, but one of the first things that Jill and I need to learn how to do was we needed to move from a man-to-man defense to a zone defense. And uh, I see a lot of nodding heads right now. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've made some progress in that way over the years, but uh, you're always wanting to learn, right? So, you know, if you've, if you've, got, some, uh, some, you've got a playbook that we can borrow from, we'd love to, love to take a look at, at some of your, uh, your plans on that. But, uh, but, you know, in that process of adopting... And since then, we've, we've learned a lot about patience. You know, we've learned a lot about trust. Um, we've learned a lot about faith in the process of, of bringing Joshua home. And, you know, honestly, we've also learned a lot of, man, why does the government need so much paperwork? What more do they want from us, right? But on another level, this whole process of us adopting has led me personally to uh, a greater awareness and a deeper understanding of God's heart for others. You know, those that are broken, those that are marginalized, you know, those that are looking for a home or, or a family, a, a place to belong. You know, in reality, to be honest with you, it's, it's given me a deeper sense of awe and wonder into God's heart, His heart that He has for me. And so today I'd love for us to explore this theme and topic of adoption, you know, and, and it would be easy for me to stand up here and to, to tell you all the details and all the specifics of our, of our journey of, uh, of bringing Joshua home and, and the challenges and the joys of all that, and, and uh, I'm sure we could do that at some point, but what I would love to do this morning in the time that we have is to really center our focus around exploring what God's heart on this is for each of us. And how we're loved, chosen, and adopted by God for His purpose, for His glory. So, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn them, turn to them, uh, to the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 is going to be kind of our, our anchor passage for the day. You know, there's a number of passages in Scripture that highlight adoption or have themes of adoption running through them. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of them today, so I really want to kind of start us in this passage in Galatians chapter 4. So if you have that, I would like to read along, have you read with me Galatians 4, 
verses 4 through 8. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. Just by way of context, if we were to kind of step back from this passage in Galatians, um, and if you've studied Galatians at all, you know that Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people who lived in this Roman province of Galatia. The people who lived there, they welcomed Paul. They, they loved when he would come to visit them. And, and they not only welcomed him, but they also welcomed his message of the gospel that he brought. And many chose to put their faith and trust in Jesus. But as time went on, people began to uh, bring a bunch of deception and, and dissension amongst those people. And beginning to question Paul, both in his qualifications as an apostle, but also in beginning to twist and, and misalign and, and, and um, reinterpret the truth of what the gospel was and what was required to be a believer. And so Paul responds with this letter to the Galatians um, to clear up some of those misconceptions about both his status and his position as an apostle, but also to clarify that membership in God's family is based solely on the faith of the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, and not obedience to the Jewish law. In the first part of Galatians, he sets out to remind his readers that obedience to the Old Testament law, and specifically the areas of circumcision or, or uncircumcision, wasn't the criteria for a believer. A believer was the one who chose to accept and believe in the free gift of grace that came through faith in Christ, completely separate from the law. Well, what excites me as we get to this chapter 4 period uh, section is, is as, as Paul summarizes the truth of the gospel by using the analogy of adoption. Verses 4 and 5 lay out a pretty clear and a concise overview of what's at the heart and the foundation of Christianity. And that is that the vertical always precedes the horizontal. You know, what these verses reveal to us about this vertical relationship that exists between God and us is that the relationship with God was never initiated by man moving towards God. It's always about God moving first toward us by His grace. And we see that in these verses. But when the time, the set time had finally come, God sent His Son. And it was He who was sent to redeem us from under the law. You know, to redeem something means to, to receive something or, or to gain possession of something in exchange for a payment. You know, this past week was spring break for many of our students. And so uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to go with some of them to one of my favorite restaurants. And uh, on my receipt, after I ordered my chicken sandwich, um, my receipt at the bottom had a, uh, had a little offer 
And the offer was for a free chicken sandwich. And all that was required of me was to go and answer a few questions online for a survey and, and, uh, and, and I could get a sandwich. And so as every good Chick-fil-A customer does, you go online and you fill it out and then you write the little code down to get your free sandwich. So the next day after that, I found myself back at Chick-fil-A. <sighs> Don't judge. Come on now. Um, good ministry happens at Chick-fil-A, I'll tell you that. Uh, with, with someone else, with a different student. And so I redeemed that receipt for my free chicken sandwich, minus the pickle. Um, don't judge. Um, and, and as I was at the counter and I was getting my food and, and the cashier was, was giving me my receipt, what is this? But lo and behold, at the bottom of my receipt is another coupon for a free chicken sandwich. And I'm like, yes! I'm really liking the pattern that I'm seeing develop here. You know, I redeem my coupon, I get myself a free chicken sandwich, plus a coupon for another chicken sandwich. Rinse, cycle, repeat, right? Pastor Steve would be proud. You know, but as I think about that, I'm like, the cost of redemption for me to get that chicken sandwich was nothing more than answering a few simple questions and pulling that receipt out of my pocket and handing that to the cashier. But the price that God had to pay to redeem you and I was nothing short of the very life of his own son, Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. God initiated our redemption and it cost him the very life of his son. You know, we had no involvement in bringing about our redemption. You know, in fact, if you look in Romans 5.8, Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the result of this vertical relationship that we now have with God and the example that he gave us of redeeming us gives us the basis and the motivation for us to pursue and establish a horizontal relationship with others. In other words, we move horizontally toward others because God moved vertically toward us. The vertical always precedes the horizontal. You know, we see this principle played out in other parts of Scripture, right? You think of love. You know, love moved vertically before it moved Horizontally, 1 John 4.19 tells us that we love. Why? Because He, God Himself, loved us. You know, in fact, we wouldn't know what love is if it wasn't for God's radical love that He showed us through His Son, Jesus. Our ability to love is predicated on God's love. Think about forgiveness. Very much like love, forgiveness is first vertical before it's horizontal. Colossians 3.13 says to forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because God's forgiven us, our vertical relationship enables us to forgive others. Or accepting others, accepting one another. Paul describes in Romans 15 verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What we see in all these situations is that the vertical relationship comes first. 
And because of that, it's to be the motivation and the model for us to go out and to establish horizontal relationships. So it can be an expression of the vertical relationship that we have. So with that in mind, it shouldn't be a surprise that our adoption has its origin in the heart of God and not man. You know, adoption isn't something that's been man-made or, or is designed or thought of by us. It comes from the very heart of God himself. It's clear not only from these verses in Galatians that we've read, but also in Ephesians. If you look over at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, they say this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. You know, it's a pretty long process, but in the summer of 2010, God brought it about for Jill and I to both be um, united in pursuing our adoption of Joshua. You know, as we were talking through this um, in the late summer of 2010, um, seeking the Lord on where and what that might look like specifically, God would continue to bring about this image of, uh, of Asian children into my mind. And specifically those in Southeast Asia along the Pacific Rim area. And so as we explored this further and we began to talk with a couple of different adoption agencies in the Chicago area where we lived at the time, and we were praying over um, and asking for God's, God's will in this, South Korea became the place that kind of rose to the top. And so on September 1st of 2010, we filled out and had completed our initial paperwork and our application for our adoption process. We put it in the envelope, and I remember driving to the adoption agency that morning and dropping it on their desk before I headed into work. And what you do at that point is then obviously things, a whole series of events begins to occur as a result of that. And if you've gone through the adoption process yourself or if you have um, journeyed with anyone who has gone in the process, you know that there are times when it can be very laborious and long and exhausting and tiring. There never seems to be an unending amount of paperwork and forms that you need to fill out, signatures that you need to have signed, um, fingerprints that need to be taken, um, life, getting licensed by the state um, and being authorized, having multiple home study visits and appointments in the office, securing references and submitting your medical histories and your financial histories and man, probably even your what you had for breakfast yesterday. I mean, the, the list is exhaustive of the amount of material that they require you to have in place. So after we went through this whole process, about 10 months in, we finally got a call from our, from our agency. And they said, come on in, we have something we want to show you. And so I remember when we walked into the office and we sat down across the desk from our social worker, and they showed us the very first copies of the paperwork and the photos of a nine-month-old little boy named Yunsa. And it was at that moment that I knew he was our son. It was from that point on in July of 2011 that another process began. And another process that required another round of paperwork and more discussions. But on top of that, it was mostly a lot of waiting and waiting and praying. And anxiousness began to creep in. 
and, and we begin to wonder, are we going to get an update? Are, are, should we call them? Should, should we wait until they call us and, and see what happens? And, and, and every now and then we would get a little email maybe with a, with a photo update of, of Joshua and, and maybe a short medical report of, of where he's at, you know, and all that sort of thing. And days passed and months came by and 13 months later, after our initial appointment, when we saw that first photo of Joshua, almost two month, two years of when we initially started our process, the four of us hopped on a plane out of Chicago O'Hare and flew to Seoul, South Korea to meet Joshua for the very first time. I remember that first day. We flew in on a Thursday, and Friday morning was our scheduled appointment to meet with him. And so uh, we met with our social worker, our, our case worker in Korea uh, at the agency there. And so she met with us so that we could sit down and we could kind of talk through uh, what was all going to transpire over this one-hour appointment that we had with Joshua and his foster family. And I remember as we went up to the elevator to the second-floor playroom where he and his foster family were at, uh, there's this incredible range of emotions and, and feelings that I had. You know, there's this feeling of, of anticipation and excitement, right? I mean, it's almost two years to the day where, where, where we've begun this process and, and we're going to meet him for the very first time. We've been waiting for this moment. But I also remember there's this feeling of nervousness. You know, I don't know how everything's going to go. We're in a different culture. We're, we're with different people. They don't know English. And so what if I say something stupid in my broken Korean and, and I offend them? What if, what if I don't remember to do a certain type of bow or, 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 or the gestures of respect that I was coached on? And, and man, you know, they, they rethink their whole idea. Oh, I don't know about these guys, you know. Um, what's going to happen? Well, we opened the door to the playroom and we saw for the very first time our little boy running around. White t-shirt, blue overalls, no socks on. Very much common to what's in our house today. Playing on the slide, laughing, giggling, getting in the cars, running them all around, having a ball. And it struck me at that moment, as I stood in the doorway, and as I looked at Joshua, the truth was that Joshua had no idea about everything that had transpired up to that point to bring us to this point right here in this playroom on this Friday morning. Before he was even born, he had a mom and dad in America who had already begun the process and had filled out the paperwork to adopt him. Before he was only had three or four months of living, as he was living in the infant nursery at this adoption agency, he had a family back here in America who was doing everything they could to be able to find a way to bring him home so he could have his own room and his own bed and have a family to call his own. And Joshua had no idea that for every major milestone that he was hitting in Korea, as he was celebrating that with his family, that he had a family back here in America who was also celebrating with him. We had our own first year birthday party for him. We were celebrating every update that we got. Oh, he's walking. Oh, he's talking. Oh, he's able to grasp things. We were celebrating with him. He had no idea of any of this. Before he was born, 
we began to pursue him and to make the first move to bring him into our family. It's with that mindset that I come and I look at Ephesians chapter 1 and as I think about our own spiritual adoption in Christ and I read these verses now with a whole different limelight and a whole different lens. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. Can we just pause and just ponder the truth and the weight of what those verses communicate? Here's the reality, church. Before you and I were even born, before we took our first breath out of the womb, God was already planning to adopt us through Jesus. Before the sun even shone him for the very first time in the sky, before the stars were up and the animals were running all over the ground and the earth was formed, before everything that was seen or even thought of, you and I were chosen by God for him. He chose to redeem you and I from the miry pit of death was caused by our sin, and to restore us and to make us one of his children. Praise be to God. David Platt said, Adoption begins with a parent's initiative, not a child's invitation. Our adoption has its origin in the heart of God, not us. But that's something difficult for us to grasp, isn't it? It's, it's, it's something that's challenging for us to, to wrap our head around because, if we're honest, that communicates to us that we're helpless, that, that we, we can't do anything. We, we need someone to rescue us. You know, I think sometimes we may find ourselves having this view of adoption that we see in the movie Annie. <laughs> right? We think we're this cute, little, adorable, redhead girl with a cute red dress and who can you know, charm anyone with her smile and her voice. But in order to get into the Warbucks family, we, we need to go through a trial period, right? We, we need to be in our best behavior, or, or at the least, we need, to, we need to thwart the plans of others who are trying to get at us. In other words, we have to do something in order to make it into the family. But this idea of adoption, as I understand it, scripturally, has nothing to do with that. Nothing that we did sold God to rescue us. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 describes how we are dead in our transgressions and our sins. We are by nature children of wrath. But if you continue on in Ephesians 2 verse 5, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Our adoption was not on our own merit, but fully on God's mercy. And because God has chosen to redeem us and has brought us into his family, things have changed. They are not the same. One of the most significant ways that things have changed 
is in our identity as people. Galatians 4.7 reminds us that we are no longer a slave, but we are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You know, we had met Joshua that first Friday morning and had that hour of time with him. And then we were not able to see him again until Monday morning. Um, And Monday morning was a significant day because that was our family day. That was the day that we were actually going to take full custody and responsibility for him. So we came back to the agency that Monday morning, and, and as we were in this little room with our, uh, our caseworker and the adoption, or the foster family and ourselves with Joshua, um, working through some final paperwork and uh, forms and communicating the best we could with the foster mom about um, some of his needs and, and his belongings and that sort of thing, it was time for us to go downstairs. And it's customary at the agency that we were working with for the president of the agency to pray for each of the children before they go with their forever families. And so we gathered for a time of prayer with other adoption families that were there also getting their their child. And Joshua's foster family was on both sides of us, and his dad was on my side holding Joshua. And as we prayed together as a group in the back lobby of the agency... Well, after this prayer had ended, uh, without almost no hesitation, no delays, uh, his dad, his foster dad, turned and gave me Joshua to hold for the very first time. And at the same time, our caseworker, who was on the other side of us, um, was quickly telling us to, to go back into the elevator, rush us back into the elevator, and head upstairs to our room where we were staying. You know, and, and Joshua's foster family, his mom and his dad and his three grown daughters that he had been living with, um, who were also all there, they were beginning to cry and to weep and, and to do their best to try to say quickly say their goodbyes, both to us, but more importantly to Joshua. And uh, in the meantime, we were still being rushed, almost like it was, it was an emergency for us to get onto the elevator. And I remember holding on to Joshua with my arms. And as we were walking into that elevator, he was crying and he was wailing and, and trying to reach out and, and fuss and, and squirm and squiggle and, and he's arch, beginning to arch his back. And, and as he's looking at his, his foster mom and his foster dad and, and his arms are reaching out, his fingers like he's trying to grab onto them. And immediately, as soon as we got into the elevator, the doors closed like that. And his old life was never going to be the same again. And we stood in that elevator for what felt like five minutes, five hours. It was crazy, but he's screaming at the top of his lungs, Oma! Oma! Which in Korean means mommy, mommy. And, you know, at that moment, as we were prepared through many of our, our, our classes that we had attended and, and conversations we had with our social worker back here, you know, this time of transition is hard. And, and there's going to be a lot of grieving that your child's going to go through. And there's going to be a lot of loss that you need to accept and understand and work through and, and, and support him with. And, and we understood that and we're, we're, we're ready and prepared to handle that. But it was at that moment that we were in that elevator as I'm trying to hold on to him the best that I could that all I wanted to do was to let him know, Joshua, your mother is right here. Your mother loves you. I'm your daddy. I'm your mom's right here. You have an older brother. You have an older sister. You have grandparents who want to spoil you. The life that you are now going to have is like a life that 
is beyond your comprehension. So we took him upstairs after we got off the elevator to our room and, and we had a few gifts laid out on the floor for him, some toys and, and uh, some Korean cartoons and a few snacks, help him feel more comfortable. And uh, that didn't last for maybe more than five or ten minutes. And Joshua gets up and he runs to the door of our room. And the kid's a little smart one where he opens the doorknob and he flings the door open and he beelines it right down the hallway right back to the elevator that we had just come up ten minutes before. As if he's going back to look for his old way of life. And I stop and I think about that and I was like, man, how true is that in our own faith journey? How true is it that you and I sometimes find ourselves wanting to run back to the things that we were just rescued from? How often do we look to go back through that exit door that we had just come through, right back at our old life, as if they still owned us, as if they still controlled who we were? Those selfish desires, the the attitudes, the behaviors, the actions that we all loved and enjoyed to do. But what I see in these verses from Galatians chapter 4, Paul is saying, No, remember who you are. You are no longer a slave to that any longer. You are a child of God. You are an heir. Your standing, your identity is now wrapped completely and solely in Him. But yet, how often do we lose sight of that? How often do we lose sight of the fact that we have an inheritance as the children of God? How often do we lose sight of the fact of the riches that He has in store for us? You know, instead of seeing ourselves as children of God, we see ourselves as orphans, without a father, without a mother, without a family to call our own. You know, as a result of the death and the resurrection of Christ, the large steel elevator doors of our old life are closed. They have been shut, and our new identity and our new life has begun. We're no longer orphans. We're part of a family, and the family of God. And we need to celebrate that, and we need to choose to live in that truth as we move on. But how do we do that? First of all, I think we need to acknowledge that being adopted is a part of each of our stories as followers of Christ. You know, we often talk how we're justified before God, right? And yes, we are justified as a result of Christ's death, but we've also been adopted by God. Both of those words, justification and adoption, play an important part in our faith. You know, justification is this legal term that's used to describe a judge. And the judge determines if we fully met all the conditions and the qualifications and have met their expectations of the law. You know, in the eyes of God, the righteous judge, you know, justice needed to be satisfied for the sin that we had committed. You know, a legal transaction needed to be made. And we know that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that that legal transaction had happened, had occurred, and that debt was paid. But now imagine that judge, after seeing that the qualifications have been met, steps down off of his bench, takes off of his robes, and he walks into another room, and he signs a couple papers, and he walks out, 
And he looks at you and me and he says, come on, let's go home. You're now with me, part of my family. That's adoption. That is what it is. See, adoption is a familial term. It's a relational term. It's, it's God choosing to welcome us into his forever family. Choosing to give us all the rights and the privileges of being his children. And as a result, it should produce in us a different kind of a response. Because it's a different kind of a relationship. The response of gratitude and thankfulness. Praise to the one who rescued us. An adoptive dad by the name of Derek Lowe wrote this. He said, my friends, adoption is redemption. It's costly, exhausting, expensive, and outrageous. Buying back lives costs so much. When God set out to redeem us, it killed him. And when he redeems us, we can't even really appreciate or comprehend it. Man, when was the last time that your heart was so filled with gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for for you and what God has given you? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But what else does this mean? I think it also means that our adoption calls us to live in the new identity that we have in Christ. You know, God rescued us as orphans and he's brought us to this magnificent place of honor and blessing. We have an incredible inheritance waiting for us. These verses in Galatians 4 remind us that God has put the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we know that the Holy Spirit is one who guides us and reminds us and leads us in the truth of who we are. But it's also the Spirit that enables us to live a new life and to live in the identity that we have. If you continue on in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, Paul goes out and he lays out a very clear explanation and a call of what does a Spirit-empowered life look like in the life of a believer. We're called to put to death the actions and the behaviors of the flesh. And we're called to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit at the end of chapter 5. Why? Because our identity is now rooted in Him and His Spirit resides in us. We face battles every day, don't we? We are challenged in our belief of who we are. There's situations that we encounter that we need to choose who and what we will listen to and how we're going to respond to that. You know, I think of the person who maybe just received their notice that their job's going to get terminated or they're denied that promotion they thought they were going to get or or they got looked over for a job that they thought was going to be their dream role. Moments like this, we can take great comfort in the fact of God being the great provider who cares for his children. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Or I think of the person who's just diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. Do they succumb to the fear and the anxiety and the unknown of their future? Or do they rest in the loving hands of a father who knows what they need and is there to comfort, to support, and to guide them through it? I think of those who couples who are maybe in a low spot of their marriage, wondering if, if things are ever going to get better, or if they should just opt out, throw in the towel and be done. Do they have the faith and the trust to believe that God has brought them together and can give them the courage and the strength to get through it? 
or to the single person who struggles with, with knowing who they are and this constant pressure. I gotta find the right guy. I gotta find the right girl. I gotta be in a relationship. Do you find your worth and your value in Christ and Christ alone? Knowing that He and He alone will fully satisfy your needs. I mean, we have been given so much in Christ and yet it is so easy for us to run back out toward that steel elevator and to go back into our old way of life in that orphan state and miss out on the inheritance and the blessings and the life that we have in God. Yeah, it's going to be hard. We will have hard and difficult times in life. We can cry out to the Lord in the midst of them. We can ask for His help. He wants to help us. He wants to hear from us. But we can also remember that He's called us and has come to give us an abundant life that is found through a relationship with His Son. But our adoption not only challenges us to live out the vertical relationship that we have, but also the horizontal one. To extend that same love, the grace, the hope that we've been given to those who are in need. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Man, that's not the story of the Bible, isn't it? I mean, in essence, it's the story of God who is visiting us as orphans in our distress, and He's chosen to rescue us from it and to make us a part of His family. He initiated this vertical relationship with us. And our response and our responsibility is to extend that same love and grace and mercy in a horizontal relationship with those who need it. And I don't know what that might look like for you. Maybe for you it looks like offering your support or your time to those who maybe aren't able to care for themselves. Or maybe they are confined to their home. Maybe just simply a listening ear and a visit would make their day. It would mean the world to them. Maybe it means serving in an organization that is involved in our community. You know, I think of uh, Mission of Hope or Bridge Haven, two great organizations that we've partnered with in the past here as a church, but are specifically oriented to minister and to care for people during certain seasons of their life. And they do that through the love of Christ. Or maybe it's through praying and advocating for orphans. Or supporting those who are going through the foster care or orphan or adoption process. You know, some recent statistics by the World Health Organization projects that there are over 150 million orphaned children in the world. Almost 18 million of those have lost both of their parents. Clearly there's a need for intervention on behalf of these children that do not have a family. Yeah, I can tell you in our own experience, we've been thankful for the times that we've had as we were going through the process with Joshua of the encouragement and the support that people provided to us. Maybe that was through prayer. Maybe that was through finances. Maybe that was through cooking a meal or, or just being a listening ear and, and presence um, as we were going through that. And I honestly tell you, there's a true sense of encouragement knowing that they were with us. They were standing with us in the process that we were going through. You know, we can choose to reflect that horizontal love in a variety of ways. But as we wrap up this morning, it's my hope that you will take some time to reflect on the powerful truth that God has chosen to adopt you, to rescue you, 
And what is our responsibility in exchange for that? My prayer is that your spiritual adoption story would be a motivation and a call for you to express that same love and hope and mercy horizontally outward to those that are around you. You know, and if you're here today and, and you realize, man, I have not been adopted into God's family. I, this is all a new concept to me. I, I don't know what you're speaking of. Can I invite you to come and see me afterwards? I'll be down here in the front, or, or you can come in the back. There's a little room back there, and some of our church leadership uh, would love to chat with you, and, and we'd love to answer questions that you have. Man, it's one of the best, powerful decisions that you can make in your entire life, is to choose to begin a relationship with Christ and be a part of his family. Father God, I thank you so much for our time this morning as we have just reflected on the powerful love, mercy, and grace that you have given to us and restoring us as orphans to being your children. Father, I pray that a result of that truth and of that love that you've given to us would flow out from us as we choose to express that horizontally in the relationship to those around us, and those that you're calling us to you, locally, nationally, or internationally. For your glory and for your benefit. Amen.